Hey, Justin, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Nice to have a familiar face on the on the podcast, in, uh, or, or voice, I should say, because <laughs> we couldn't get video set up in time for this one. So uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Should I do like, should I just release the, the video version anyway and just put like the uh, animated audio uh, bubbles? Uh, it, maybe I could use yeah, sure. Adobe to, to like move your mouth for the whole thing. Or these, uh, yeah, like a photo works. Um, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever works. Probably better at looking... Uh, at a photo than my actual face so and i was saying I was, I was getting used to doing these like really not organized episodes the last two yeah i don't know if audio listeners uh noticed that the uh, quality was not the same but like i was in hotel rooms setting it up minutes before um but it, it mostly worked i don't know it, was, it, it it trained me to be much faster about my podcast setup, yeah, so yeah at least is that when we first started we filmed three in a day which was a terrible idea no, I think I mean I think that's a great idea. There's there's that. Um, we're all like sweaty pop, pop. and like and like couldn't walk <laughs> anymore. And and uh, co-host is not used to sitting in front of the camera for an hour. Whereas in the past, I've I've done that a few times because uh, of terrible a rules. But well, it may not be a great idea for the content. But uh, in terms of <laughs> I don't know, just getting stuff out. Like there's that yeah, uh, casual like, aspect. Po- podcast entrepreneur show that I don't listen to. Podcaster on fire. What's it called? I don't. Do you know what I'm talking about? He does all these interviews and he has a ton of subscribers, but his whole thing is he like wakes up really early on Monday morning and records seven episodes and then releases an episode every day. Seven. I'm like, you know what? That's not such a, maybe he does five. I don't know. Again, I don't listen to the show, but I was just like (laughs) reading about his production schedule. I'm like, man, if I worked that hard, maybe I'd be in a different place right now. For YouTube, I think um, I used, back when I was like maybe 14 or 15, uh, when we were just reviewing like iPhone cases and iPad cases, I think I used to do that on Saturdays where I'd wake up and I'd have a bin of stuff that we reviewed and that we haven't. And we'd go through all 10 of them at once and just do a one take and then just wow. cut record. And then the next product comes in. I mean, they're all pretty bad. And the videos <laughs> were like three minutes long because I don't think watch time was even a thing back then. At least YouTube didn't really measure or talk about it. Um, well, how old were you when you were starting? Because I was watching one of your, yeah. your current, your recent videos and you inserted a little clip of you you doing it like a teenager recording which it's just amazing like all i can hear is your voice i can't see you but you yeah. sound like a, a teenager and now you're <laughs> you know a, a grown-up and you've been doing it all the way in between it's crazy to me yeah i think i was um first video was probably when i was uh it was 2010 so i would have been wow. 12 years old i think um, and the first year i was i was only making like two or three videos and just like borrowing the family's camera um i remember the first product the, the thing that i really got into youtube uh for was when i was just very barely interested in tech uh, i didn't really grow up having a huge interest in it but uh, i remember seeing the ipod touch and i was like watching videos of people downloading all these apps the popcorn app the the fake beer drinking apps uh, and all the stuff that used the gyroscope <laughs> yeah. for the first time and so i saw people were getting like free cases for the iphone and i just thought that was kind of cool uh so after watching so many videos, after buying the first iPod, I decided just to start making a few videos of it. Um, but I, I think uh, there, the first year was just like general unboxings and stuff. But the second year when I bought the iPod that had a camera on it, I remember filming the box because I had to use the iPod that I was talking about to film the video. So it was just <laughs> it's like a fake unboxing. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's nothing in the box. Uh, so I just had the box Amazing. in front of me and I talked about the iPod, the specs. And back then I studied specs like very heavily because I was only one, buying one device a year. Uh, and yeah, yeah dude did, did like iPhone cases for a couple of years and that kind of thing. And then slowly moved over to smartphones and tried to 
tried to survive in the industry for for as long as possible and just adapt and change and find new ways to hopefully keep it exciting. Even though the whole YouTube space has totally changed in that period, I'd still say doing something like that is the right approach if somebody just doesn't know what to do and is too intimidated to get started. It's like, yeah, just start pulling stuff out of drawers and just talk about it. Like, don't worry too much about the quality. Don't worry if you only get, you know, 50 views. uh, And then, you know, a few, a year from now you're getting 200 views. Like that's what it takes for sure is is kind of the truth. Like it is still a grind. Um, So, you know, start off wherever you are and and keep going for sure. But um, let's also talk about what's happening right now uh, a, a little bit. This is this is being recorded just before the Apple event, which we just found out about. It's going to be on the 15th, and that always makes for bad timing to record an episode. So we can't we can't talk about anything current. Like I don't want to talk about rumors at all because, you know, by the time half the people listen to this, it'll already be expired and, you know, we will know what the what was announced um cuz right now we don't even know what type is, like is it going to be computers, is it going to be phones? It's still all a little bit up in the air. So this is all in a in a pre world before the the new our, our time of awakening is <laughs> has happened. So uh, I, it's like one thing that's on my mind that I thought would be good to talk about is like a general topic is desk setups, <laughs> yeah. which I've talked about once before. Jonathan Morrison came on, and since he does some pretty great ones, um, he we had a bit of a conversation about that. But it's something that you do really well, and I'm working on a new desk setup video as well. So I don't know, synergy, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, desk setups are a lot of fun. I feel like I've done them for quite a few years now, um, but especially in the recent years, when you look at the channel right now, um, the phones don't do that well on the channel. So it's either hit or miss with that. And I feel like desk setup is where the channel has its kind of what it's known for. I think every channel has to be known for its perspective or something. And I know I'm not known for tech. Uh, it's simply because there's people who are much better at researching technology and are able to put it through much more extensive testing than I have the energy for. Whereas like a desk setup, a makeover or like a home interior thing gets me far more excited than a new phone that comes out. But at the end of the day, well, but I think you're also, that's like a niche that's less well represented. There are more people already on YouTube that know the specs yeah. and there's less people that understand aesthetics and design and how to make things look like look and feel nice and be technology technologically savvy that's not as common there's a few ways to go about it like i know some of them are very tech uh tech focused and then others are more design focused and trying to find that medium i think is where i try to provide the the most value i know some of the setups are definitely not as practical as they could be uh but yeah setup makeover has been a fun one to do this year uh at some point i got to come up with new ideas because there's only so many ways you could put an (laughs) ikea alex and a carlby together and um and i think uh one video that I'm working on right now is my personal desk. And we did a initial video, which was kind of walking through the process of what it looks like uh, before and also what we chose and how we put it together and split it up into a two-part series. So even though I've, I've been doing like setup makeovers for the last two to three years, and I think we're about seven or eight episodes in now, we're going to move over to living rooms as well. I personally had a pretty bad desk set up in office admittingly it was always just like a mess and well th- this is the side of it i want to talk about like i want to talk yeah. about the reality of it because that it, that doesn't work as well for a video right because in the video it has to look good for sure otherwise nobody's going to click on it uh if if people can see the mess they're like oh this guy doesn't know what he's talking about because his desk isn't empty and uh completely you know minimal whereas the reality is so much more in use and like 
in my in, in my case anyway maybe everybody else has a clean desk except for me but like there is constantly crap coming on and off of my desk yeah. that i was just using and now it's just sitting there waiting to be put away and that's like a lot of the life cycle about it uh, or, or even the reality of my last desk tour was where i actually work a lot which is a very small desk in a former closet it looks in great my apartment though. so well Thanks, but it's very limited, right? Like yeah. I can't, I can't do a like blowout desk setup there, and I can't change. There's only like I don't know if I could even do another version in that same space because sure. it's how much could I change it? At the studio, I have lots of room, yeah. but I don't, I don't edit here that often. So the next one I will record here, but it won't be my setup that I'm using all the time. It'll be more like you know, here's here's what I here's what I wish I was editing on for sure. Um, That's what I plan to do as well. Actually, Uh, once the loft is done, um, the reason why I kind of revamp my entire home setup is just so I can have like kind of the main office here and utilize all the space and then have like a work desk at the, at the new place. But I can always come home and just still like have that kind of home setup that, that we can go back to. Um, And I think like the other challenge is space with setups. A lot of times you got to find a spot to use or you got to shuffle up all your existing stuff. And as YouTubers, you you have to be willing to kind of move things around to film. But at the same time, it's nice to have a setup that just, you know, doesn't have to be touched. So you can set it up exactly the way you like from the perspective of how it's most effective for work as opposed to this is going to be best for filming. So is there anything that's universal advice like... uh, Regardless what you're doing, if whether you're, you know, programming or designing or editing video, that like this is a direction everybody could go in and they might enjoy their desk set up a little bit more. Or is it like everyone's different? Yeah, I think like I think everyone is different uh, in what they look for and what they need. But a very universal option I've noticed recently is um, adding a bit of wood to the setup can change it a lot. And I'm someone who was like all like black and white setups and everything. Um, But I think two episodes this year, we did a wood-related setup where we bought the uh, kitchen countertop, which I I think it's called the Carlby, and also added the Alex jars underneath. And I feel like that one's very universal because it gives you a lot of space to work with, assuming that there is space. It's also customizable. You can cut the desk down by 10 inches, 20 inches if you like. And the Alex drawer gives you 10 uh, drawers full of storage that you can just put inside and with like the cable channels and everything that you can add to the back, I feel like that was kind of like my go-to setup. And just based on the numbers, I think the two episodes combined did about 1.7 million. It completely blew every other sort of setup design that we've done out of the water. I should take a look at that one. I didn't watch that video yet, so I should see what that actually is. Because I, I, I did a... Actually, this is funny because I finally caught up with my previous... my An old Dream Desk video I did with Jonathan Morris, like the one where... Yeah, I remember that. We actually, I guess, yeah, the, the day we recorded... Desk him on the podcast. Yeah. He did a video of my photo setup and there's a standing desk that I couldn't find I heard when he recorded that. it. Sam so Elkins came just <laughs> exactly just to record it. Like he, he tried to buy one and it was going to arrive late. Yeah. So yeah, we had to borrow one from Sam Elkins. And, uh, anyway, it was a dream. Like, while we were recording, like, this is great. This is what I want. I'm going to get this when I get home. And then once I got home, I couldn't find the desk. Anyway, update now i'm sitting at it right now i finally found it at home depot i saw that yeah um so that was a bit of a, a you know dream desk come true but for me it's it's become my like youtube station yeah not my my workstation um and one thing that really f- helped you know speaking of, of wood is I, I refinished it as well so the version in in jonathan's video was also refinished sam i guess had a similar idea of staining it darker. Yeah. And this is a bit of a tip for anybody that plans to do YouTube. If you get one of the the 
like a, a lighter wood, you're going to get all of the reflection from that when you light it. And the problem yeah. is that it turns your skin yellow or, or you know, like kind of a greeny yellow compared to uh, if you had a white table, then it's just bouncing white light. Black table. Problem with black tables for YouTube, by the way, is you see dust on it a lot. So yeah, it's much sure. harder to keep it clean. But then a wood, wood is like the perfect balance because it can get scuffed up and it's still fine. Like it looks good on camera. And as long as it's not a, a light color, uh, it won't bounce that back into your face. So I find um, the white Linman desk has been like an okay option. I think for, for the price at 10 to $20, depending on where you live, you really can't go wrong with it. But one issue I noticed, I think, uh, I, I feel like we talked about it a while back, uh, but it was the fact that it's so hollow that the sound just like bounces and mm-hmm. resonates through the entire thing. And I found that to be a bigger issue than the reflections. Uh, so the desk right. I use right now, um, I, I just built a standing desk as well. It's an L-shaped. It goes all the way around. Uh, and it's like a com- combination of the old desk I had, uh, which was from, I believe, Bow Concept. And then I added the Ikea Linman countertop, or not the Linman, the uh, the Carlby kitchen countertop on the other side. So it has like a walnut side and then it has a white side. And the white side is where I have like the, the monitor and everything. And the other side is where Trevor works at the moment until we move over to the new office. But it's like an L-shaped unit that can go up and down and I've I've been pretty happy with it. I, I personally don't use the standing function as much as I probably should, but for filming at least, it's really nice to be able to just press the button and have the desk go up and down as opposed to trying to adjust the tripod and everything, um, which for a heavy camera setup can often be a, a thing. And I was talking to Random Frank P and he was saying the same, like it's kind of like a mini hack to for YouTubers to just get a standing desk and use that for your cinematic movements or changing angles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen uh, Jesse, Jesse Driftwood did that a few times that, um, is kind of a, a hilarious effect, but super smart. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, yeah. I mean, I would definitely also I'd support that idea of like solid wood being over, over hollow. That's uh, part of the upgrade that will be in, in my video is that previously I was using the, I don't know, the default hollow Ikea white ones. Yeah. They're like $20. Okay. So I was using that for, I mean, you, you've memorized the whole catalog. <laughs> whereas I, I, I don't remember it. I was using that for years. We had a few of them upstairs and we basically upgraded them to the, the nice version of the same thing yep. from EQ3. Um, so they're just like, they look, you can't even tell that we swapped them out. The sizes are almost exactly the same, but they're, they're good. <laughs> and you, that I, I do feel the difference. So like, yeah. I don't know. It's very appealing to always go to Ikea for everything, but not all Ikea furniture is created the same, right? Some of it really is very wobbly. Yeah, And, uh, and that's actually, that's what I was using. Yes. Yeah. So I was using that for my YouTubing table before as well. And there's so much wobble to it. So every time I put my hands down, the whole thing would shake and vibrate. Having that stability really, it feels pretty nice. And it also feels like your computer is not going to fall to the ground. Not that it ever does. Like the Ikea ones don't collapse, but the confidence... It feels nice. Yeah, anyway. I filmed I um, my buddy who runs um, I set up. We filmed his desk set up last year, and um, it ended up being the one that that ended up doing better than the other ones. I thought it was like a pretty average, simple setup, and he admitted that as well. But it, it got about a, a million views, and the problem with that was he had the longest version of the the white lemon desk, and he had an ultra wide in the middle with a Wu Audio WA7 um, audio amp, and every single comment, which may have driven the views up, was that the desk was too, was bending a lot. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So you need like a, a support in the middle. 
like an extra pull. Yeah, but even then, it's like uh, I feel like at that size, the recommendation that I've been giving lately is just um, to get the Carl B. The kitchen countertop, it's like quite a bit more solid oh. and it looks great and it looks like real wood. Um, I, I think it's some sort of veneer, uh, but it comes in two different colors. It comes in a light version and also a dark version, and both of them I think look pretty good. Um, personally, I went with the walnut one, but we've used both for setup makeover. So I think the uh, in 2015 or 2014, it was very popular. A lot of people were doing the Carl B and Alex combo. And I feel like even now it's a great option. And the total desk setup is about, I'd say $300, give or take, for the entire thing. This episode is brought to you by The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives, FAQs of the week, and upcoming events. And so that you have an idea of what to expect, I want to tell you about some of the topics that you might be interested in from recent episodes. They've discussed working from home, the thing that's on so many of our minds right now, and also figuring out an intelligent intranet for your organization, which I mean is is very challenging. Intranets are rarely intelligent, so if you can make it work, that's a big deal. And they also did an episode about APIs, teamwork, you should go give it a try. So go and listen now. Just search for the IntraZone in whatever podcast app you're using. You probably have one open right now. So just search for I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E or just click the link in the show notes. So go and check it out. Thanks again to the IntraZone for their support of the show. What do you really think of the ultra-wide monitors? You're primarily a Mac user, right? Like I think yeah. you're using an XDR. I, I am your, using the XDR now. Uh, thanks to Apple. Uh, they let me try that out. I, I was very... Um, ultra wide uh, i was using ultra wides from the 34 inch to the 38 inch and i love the ultra wide and the other day when my friend came in from uh, vancouver to help me film he was like uh, i need to edit so I, I let him use the 38 inch in the dining room and i was like like sort of jealous i sort of missed it having that amount of screen real estate going horizontally but yeah i've been using the xdr for the past i think uh four months now and it, it looks great i mean for for what color correction needs it's the best that you can buy for the category mm -hmm. uh and i've been very happy with it and i don't think i could go back uh just because the room i'm in is so bright during the daytime that the x the ultra wide was only 300 nits so i wouldn't really be able to get right. an accurate representation of colors and even then the colors are not the best on the ultra wides but i can still recommend ultra wides i i think they're they're great for screen real estate and after using one for a few years i still think that Say if Apple made a an ultra wide XDR, which I don't, I don't think they will. They they won't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, let's I think just pretend. Yeah, I, I think that would be something that I'd be all over. Ultra wide iMac. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, what? But what about comparing it to multiple screens? So I used to live like forever. I would only use multiple screens. Yeah, same and here. I haven't for quite a while now. But do you have a strong preference between ultra wide? versus separating those screens is there a good reason to go one way or the other yeah so back when i when i first started youtube or not exactly when i first started but when i started um kind of saving enough enough money to put together my own desk setup and try to make it like the ultimate 
teenage workstation where there would be like a PS4 and X or PS3 and Xbox uh, and like a computer on a stand and then two monitors and then I would have like HDMI switchers so when my mom came upstairs she wouldn't see that I wasn't doing my homework <laughs> uh, printer underneath Amazing. and like foot rest and just like tried to make like more or less wasn't really a thing it was just trying to deck it out as much as possible I feel like my favorite setups ever were were dual monitor display uh, setups where there would be one screen in the middle and there'd be a secondary display on the right side and the secondary display was connected to like a gaming system so on a weekend I would if I wasn't making videos what I would do is I would play some NHL online and just have like feet on the table and everything and whenever there'd be like a stoppage in play I would grab the mouse and quickly edit a little bit of my two-minute video on the main screen so I've thought about that I think um, with the price of the XDR I don't think I'm going to try to do a dual setup it's just ridiculous Um, like the level of video that I do is not really worthy of an XDR there's a decent chance that that will come to I mean I do think Apple will do a mainstream display at this point. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. Who knows? But I think it's pretty likely. Um, when the XDR came out, I was saying things like, the, great, the best thing about this is it shows us what Apple is going to be able to do yeah. at consumer prices soon. And that already happened with the 27-inch iMac, right? We got that nano texture for half the price on the consumer computer. Um, so I think gradually all of the stuff they learned to do in the XDR is going to trickle down to more affordable screens for sure. pretty soon. And even if they made like an iMac display as a standalone, I feel like that would be that would totally be good enough for even even like the video editing that I do. I mean, it's going on YouTube. They're going to totally. ruin the footage anyway. So as a secondary display, I think it is exciting that that there is that possibility that there may be a, a cheaper display that comes out. I mean, I'd love to go back to a secondary display setup, um, but... Most of the time, those setups are not the prettiest. They're very, they're very effective, but the way I like to have a dual display was to have one in the middle and one on the side, as opposed to I think Marquez has mm-hmm. two of them in the middle. Like they're, yeah, right. Which I, I'm more with you. I would always have like one is definitely secondary. Yeah. It's just over there, and some it's either playing a YouTube video or you know stuff like that. Um, that's even right now. Actually, what I'm doing often is I'll have my iPad off to the side. Uh, not even doing sidecar, like it's it's just separately the iPad and it's playing video. Playing YouTube it's got videos. Twitter open. Yeah, totally. It's just the whatever else I'm doing at the same time. Yeah. So instead of a split screen, I'm doing two. It's hard two to use a 32 inch like like primary display though to do a lot of things at a time, especially if you're trying to run a timeline based system. Uh, mm-hmm. Like right. Final Cut takes up the entire screen on the 32 inch. So if I want to play a YouTube video or want to load up emails, it it definitely does. It's overlap. Sure. Yeah. I do picture in picture a lot, like from Safari, and it's it's always covering something yeah. and moving it from side to side. For sure, um, that's definitely an issue. So, okay, wait, we'll we'll still talk about desks more, but since you brought up consoles, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the upcoming Xbox, PS Five stuff. Xbox prices were just announced, yeah, yeah. November tenth. What I are believe? you going to get? Um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about gaming because uh, the only games I play are NHL, and I'm wanting to play <laughs> oh, Formula you like- One. Are very specific. Okay. Yeah, I'm very. I, I like when I grew up. It was everything was just hockey and YouTube, uh, and even like the new setup. I tried to bring back some of the the hockey elements. Uh, the the home office now has a projector, uh, so the wall I had it painted gray, and at night I can just fire up the projector, and there's a Sonos speaker up front, and uh, I'm able to watch a hockey game, and my XDR displays in front of me, and kind of multitask. Uh, unfortunately, the Canucks have been knocked out, but they, they they sure made it further than the Flames and the Oilers. So, 
Did you uh do you ever play hockey as a kid? Yeah, I did. Uh played Oh, sweet. I played yeah, um yeah, road road hockey and then I played the ball hockey. The other day I actually interviewed my old neighbor uh and we're the same age and grew up together for about a decade. So he came down to the basement and he was like, "Man, like this basement's been used for 12 different things. Like we used to play foam ball hockey in here. I trained yeah. you how to play a goalie down here and um all that kind of stuff." So it was kind of funny. Uh, what position did you play? Uh, I was usually right wing. Oh, nice. Were you a right shot? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And I, uh, it was like, it's funny because I was obsessed with it when I was a teenager. <laughs> and then as an adult, like I do not follow any sports. Really? Like I do not care about hockey anymore in the slightest, but I was fully obsessed until I stopped, which I think it was maybe like 16 when I stopped playing. And once I stopped, I fully stopped. I was like but beyond I obsessed really for loved a while. It. it was like yeah. ridiculous. Like it was printing out game sheets uh, the the score sheets from every game and putting it in a binder because I thought oh, they were wow. going to win the cup. Um, and I'd play yeah. rod hockey, road hockey, uh, mini ball hockey after <laughs> dinner. And then I play ice hockey. That that was one thing I didn't do. I didn't collect. Oh, I had a lot of cards, cards but okay. I used to go to like the the games locally and try to catch the pucks. Um, and then I played goalie and player at the same time because I couldn't decide which one I liked more. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a that was a bit weird. But I haven't played and I haven't skated in like five years. So I've uh, just been yeah, sitting I, on my ass and doing YouTube videos ever since. I always wish I did. My, uh, Shay, Shay Kerwood, my cousin who's been on the show twice, he we played hockey together a lot growing up and he still plays it today. Really? And I'm always like, man, that's the right idea. Like, yeah. it's so good for him. I'm like, I should have kept playing it. Anyway, this is not about tech at all. Yeah. Um, I still, I still, so, okay, you said not to ask you about consoles, but I just want to yeah, yeah. at least weigh um, in. It's going to be, um, so yeah, I only play NHL, so the game is probably not going to be optimized for the next generation of consoles. And I'm just not a good gamer. I just didn't grow up getting good at the first person shooters and role playing games. Um, but yeah. I think as a tech reviewer, we're usually going to want to pick up both and try it out and decide what's going to be. Like, there's not really any bias going into it. Uh, I personally use the PS4 and, um, I'm pretty happy with it, but at the same time, I was on Xbox and PS3 for a couple of years back and forth and didn't really have an opinion. I know like back when I was a teenager, the biggest kind of selling point was the fact that PS4 or PS3 was free um, and people who were at the age of 12 or 13 didn't want to pay the extra $60, so they would go and buy the PS3. Um, in terms of people I play with, uh, I mean it's not really, it's, it's kind of divided. I mean, Trevor's on Xbox and, um, my buddy who lives upstairs who I play NHL with occasionally, uh, he's somehow ranked like 10 in the world. Uh, and he plays very casually. He's also on, on PlayStation. So yeah, I think, mm-hmm. um, I think PlayStation is going to be the route, but I think what so you're going to get both. <laughs> yeah. But I think what Microsoft is doing is definitely more exciting and more compelling just based on what it looks like right now. Uh, mm-hmm. and the budget offering is something that I really like as well. And I think the console on the on the Microsoft side looks better too. And for kids, that's going to be a big factor, right? Well, it's the biggest split that we've seen in a long time. Yeah. In strategies like they they are much more differentiated than they were in the last generation. Whereas you know, just take whichever one you want, you're going to be playing the exact same titles and basically the exact same way, and they're going to look pretty much the same. For sure. The big differentiator ended up being exclusives for PlayStation, which is that's why I've been sticking with playstation for a long time i didn't i didn't have both in the last generation it was you know 360 is last time i had uh both uh, yeah same three yeah yeah 360 now i just didn't bother getting both last time because there's nothing for xbox i felt like i needed um i'm sort of i'm over halo uh i'm over gears of war so like i didn't care but this this differentiation is really interesting and especially now that the pricing's out 300 dollars for the 
more you know affordable Xbox. It's 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 crazy because it's kind of being subsidized by this subscription model, right? Like the hardware is probably definitely worth more than that because it can do almost everything that the bigger i haven't i've only read like quick articles so forgive me if i'm getting this wrong but i think it can do everything that the full-on xbox can do except the s is running at 1440 instead of 4k which is awesome like that's not a huge compromise to save two hundred dollars um but i think they're able to do that because they're assuming a lot of people are going to start paying the subscription so in the end you'll sort of end up paying more anyway yeah so the way i've thought about this in the past with things like phones is I always say like, you know, you're going to pay more for your phone service in the end than the actual cost of your, of upgrading your phone to, you know, one 100%. size bigger. Like, so just, you know, spend as much as you can up front for the the phone that you choose. Cause like it's yeah. a small percentage of the total cost in the, in the long run. Instead of doing so, the contract model. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to get a PS5, not an Xbox, but <laughs> Just because to me, I don't I don't love the idea of the subscription thing because yeah. sometimes I won't play for a few months. Like I won't play any games for months at a time. Oh yeah, for sure. So I want to own I don't want to own what I'm playing anyway. And then again, the exclusives. Like there's gonna there's you know there's gonna be more PS5 exclusives that I'm interested in. So it's strange how we like uh, the the philosophy towards game consoles as you grow older. Though, um, like when I was 14 and 15, the 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 opinions towards the decision were just so different from today. Um, and I mean, nowadays I don't really game that much, but even back then when I was playing casual sports games, it was, um, even in some situations, if I couldn't, I think when the Xbox one came out, the PS4 was impossible to find. So I ended up going Xbox one for a little bit. Uh, it's one of those things where nowadays we'd kind of, we'd think of it a little bit differently as opposed to buying something because it's available earlier. I don't know. I can't put myself, I'm, I'm enough further away from my teenage years than you to (laughs) know what I would possibly want to do if, uh, if I was still, I mean, yeah. Cause like, what what was your first console that you were really into? Cause for me, it's like, you know, N64 in the first PlayStation, that's like my glory years of video games. Yeah. I think, um, I feel like people my age played the N64, uh, but my parents are very anti game console. So it wasn't until like a family friend bought a gift, um, like a Game Boy Advance SP that I got into it, but I wasn't really playing like Pokemon and stuff. I was playing Nintendogs for some reason. Uh, and then I think, uh, And then I think the first real console that I that I purchased myself was a PS3 because I I tricked my mom into thinking it was a CD player to watch movies, um, and so she didn't say anything. <laughs> I mean, about it was. It. Yeah. yeah, I told I her it was just a I definitely Blu-ray. used that as leverage for the yeah for the PS2. I definitely used yeah. it as leverage. Like, well, we'll have a DVD player because at the time, I mean, PS2 was the first like half decent DVD player you could get. And it was like the same price as most DVD players. So yeah. that was how DVDs got into a lot of people's homes. It was through the PS2. I think the PS2 was the most fun for sure. Uh, I remember back, yeah. uh, I had a few friends who were playing the Xbox, the original Xbox. And what I remember was the discs would take like 45 minutes to load. And we would sit there and just like walk around the house right. until it's until it loads. Uh, so yeah. back then, I don't know how I had that level of patience. Nowadays, when Final Cut Pro takes more than five seconds, you start to slam the mouse and keyboard the, a little bit. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what, what this thing's doing again. Um, but yeah, the uh, back then, I remember the PS2 was a lot of fun, like Guitar Hero. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it was NHL 07 at the time, Guitar Hero. I'm trying to remember what other games I play. Uh, Rock Band was also very popular at the time, and For the sure. Wii came out, and uh, 
like played like Wii Sports and Rock Band. I, I remember the Wii not having very good games. It was just like uh, Wii Sports was the whole reason why people bought it. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody played a lot of. Yeah, I mean, it had some good smaller titles, and Zelda was so good that that sort of carried it. Um, and some good Mario's, but it's actually the same situation that the Switch is in now, where a few first party titles yeah. really just hold up the whole system. For sure. So I don't know. Um, but and also to clarify anybody that's confused about my age right now, PlayStation One wasn't my first. I mean, I had an NES. That was the first console I owned. <laughs> I just got really into games later with like yeah, both. I had the PlayStation and the N sixty four. Anyway, that was a long tangent about consoles, and I still want to finish a, a desk conversation too. So let's uh, sure. let's circle back to that. Um, here, okay, here's something I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out with my my new one is like right now, how much does how much do people really end up using desk speakers versus headphones? Because in my last one, I really let the speaker be secondary. I actually only use, I use speakers away from my desk most of the time, but when I'm working, I stick my headphones on. So the, the audio that I can play out of my computer isn't that important. How do you use audio with your machine? So I'm a bit, um, I'm a bit opposite on that, but I know it's like, it's kind of an unpopular opinion, but I personally hate wearing headphones. I try to wear them as little as possible, which kind of annoys the people around me because they have to listen to my voice in person and also on video and the A-roll is <laughs> always the same sentence over yeah, and yeah. over. And they have to watch, we have yeah. to start watching these videos before we upload them because we've had more than, more than a couple errors lately. Um, but Oops. I use, uh, I use speakers almost all the time and I've been using the same set of speakers for many, many years now. It's been the audio engine a two plus, And I think I've been using these since 2014 or 2015. I know some people like to go for the larger ones like the Yamahas and, and all that. I, I just really don't want anything that large on my desk and I'm not like trying to, make the next Kygo track or something. So I don't need anything like a reference speaker or anything. I just need to be able to set my levels and kind of be able to hear how it's going to sound. Um, I do have AirPods and I, and I use those when I go and grab a coffee or, and on planes I'll wear like the QCs or the, the, the Bose 700s. Uh, but other than that, I try to wear headphones like as little as possible because I feel like it kind of puts you in a different world. It's, it's very warm and like, I don't know, I, I don't like having the, the headband and everything on. Um, I have started using AirPods a little bit more for editing because there isn't much lag at all. So, mm-hmm. for example, if uh, if a buddy comes over and wants to watch hockey on the projector, I'll just stick like one AirPod in on one side and I'll be cutting A-roll while the game's coming out of the speaker sort of thing. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm I'm very speaker. Um, and I feel like the best speaker you could buy for under $300 in in general is the Audio Engine A2+. Plus. Uh, we've tried stuff from Kanto and... Those were around the same price point, but the sound quality just wasn't wasn't anywhere close. I really noticed um, a difference in so okay bad habit of mine. I've been editing a lot with my AirPods, um, and that's not a knock against them. The you can do almost all your editing with AirPods, yeah, and it's totally fine. For sure. But when you're mastering the final mix, you can definitely miss things in it that are really obvious in a bigger headphone, especially things like reverb that, you know, there's just a little bit too much in there or just noise. You know, there can just be like a low level of of room hiss or, or something that you leave in because you have to really turn up the AirPods. Like, you know, Air, and I'm talking about AirPods Pro, like I'm using them all the time. I absolutely love them. They're in my ear like half the day, but it's definitely not the same level of like fidelity and clarity that you would get out of either over the ear or some good reference monitors. So it is really important if you're doing any kind of production to hear it 
loud at some point yeah, for sure. before you send it out to the world because there, there's honestly probably something you're missing. Or an issue I've had with the podcast a few times is having stereo issues where either the whole track is mixed to one side. Yeah. Uh, because I was I was listening with one AirPod in. That's exactly how it happened twice. <laughs> and I didn't notice that like one of the channels was was mixed to one side or the other. So. The stereo dual mono thing and like the center. In terms of mice keyboards, do you like stick to the same thing? Do you keep mixing it up? Like what, what are your thoughts there? For, for the uh, podcast? No, just for for like in general working at a computer. Do you use the same keyboard all the time? Oh, the like keyboard. Sorry, building. Yeah, yeah. I thought you mentioned like mixing board or something. Uh, for keyboard, I just oh, use yeah. the one that came with the uh, the Mac Pro, uh, the black and white, uh, black and silver one. And I got a ton <laughs> of questions about where I bought it, uh, and I was like, I didn't realize that. I don't think Apple sells the black and silver keyboard on its own. They sell the the black one, and they also sell the white and silver one. But yeah, the the silver and black one is. Uh, I guess it is only on the on the Mac. It's a pro feature, yeah. Yeah, I don't really like the number pad though. Like, I, I don't ever need the number pad at all. Oh, um, man. So. I love number pads. <laughs> I'm totally the opposite. I don't even like, know I'll, what I'll where the numbers are. Go out. I'll in- well, no, but that's why is because you can't. T- you, you, okay, like blindfold yourself and try to touch type the numbers at the top of your screen. It's really easy to like lose your place in them. Um, whereas if you've got your hand resting over the numpad, if you use it. You'll be, you can just do it blindly because like there's only three per row and I don't know. I'm a fan of it, but uh, it it would be nice space wise to not have it, especially because I'm in a, at a smaller desk. But yeah, now that I'm looking at it, I just realized I, I don't think I've ever touched the number side of it, like beyond the general keyboard crazy. side. But the problem is I always drink water and eat at my desk. So I've spilt water on <laughs> so many keyboards. I think this is like the third right. or fourth. Um, I, I would usually use the the ones that are just the white and silver uh, magic keyboard and um and the MX Master 3 but yeah uh we're using this right now and um and it's it's lasted for longer than i expected <laughs> i really like all the logitech stuff to be yeah, honest yeah. i mean so uh the MX Master 3 i've been using for i mean well i say the 3 i've been using the MX series the line, yeah. forever since, since the original college. i think so, yeah, it just feels like the same mouse keeps yeah. showing up in my hand. And it has been evolving, but I almost forget how much better it's gotten because it was always good, you know? Like, yeah. I, I've never had any big complaints about it. One of the trips um, we did last year was to Geneva, where they have their, their Logitech like, design facility, the, the R&D. Um, and it's it's actually all just in one building on, like, a Swiss, um, I'd say, like, a U- engineering university kind of campus. Uh, but... Either way, it's like the the European research facilities are all like state of the art, like glass buildings, um, and they kind of took us downstairs to where the engineers were working on the new MX Master Three. And one of the things was a scroll wheel, where it was made out of metal, and it has like kind of mm-hmm. with the metal it allows it to have some sort of natural mechanism um, that makes it feel more natural to scroll. And and they're talking about there, there's just some guy down there, and there's no windows, and it's super hot. And he was just and they're talking about how they've been working on it for the last year and a half. Um, and they also have like a like a big phone booth where they test the RF signals of the of the new mouse mm-hmm. uh, and also compare it to their original generation. And when they took us upstairs, they also had this room where the machines just click on the mouse and scroll and keyboards and all that kind of stuff continuously. And you could just hear like hundreds of machines in the same room going off at the same time, and it's just clicking for the entire day. And they analyze how many times it's able to to click before it has any faults. And I think what I found most unique about that and also how Dyson did things in their UK facility was even with small generational improvements from like the second generation to third generation or in Dyson's case the V10 to a V11 vacuum 
it goes through, at least with these two companies, it goes through the entire testing process all over again as if they were making a brand new product. The one that always blows me away, just that you can tell a lot of engineering went into it, is the scroll wheel on yeah. the Logitech. Because it just, it just feels sort of impossible. The way that it, digitally you can change a setting and it starts clicking, yeah. and all of a sudden you have resistance in it, but then when it rolls free you know, the free spin, the bearings are so smooth that it will just go for like one or two minutes. It'll just keep spinning as long as you want it to. And it, it, I, I'm always super impressed with that. And the tracking is also the best, I think, on Logitech. It works on any surface. Right. You can use it yeah, on glass great. as well. Um, but yeah, they switched PR firms recently and uh, and the experience has been a little bit different. No, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it, it's, it's nice almost like that I haven't been experimenting with mice. I feel like I should try to be aware of some other ones just so I can have a point of comparison. But for personal use, it's kind of nice to just feel like I found what works and I'm not constantly trying, yeah. you know, seeking something that will meet my needs, I'd almost which go happens as, with so much other stuff in tech. I would almost go as far as far as to say that the, the MX master line is almost like the iPad is in the tablet space where I have, right. I can't just, see this myself. Is just switching. What you choose. Everybody uses it. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, Okay, I got I got one more thing that I want to I want to hit before we wrap up, and that's uh, Komodos because that's what we were talking sure. about the last episode is the red Komodo. You've got one. We were chatting about it via text a little bit, a lot, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I, love I your... it's on my mind. It's on my mind constantly, yeah. and I know everybody listening. You know, it's I, I think it'll be the most popular red camera, but I don't think it'll be you know, relative to a Sony or Canon. Not as many people are going to be interested, but it's on my mind, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, your sort of initial reaction, you were, you were like, you're trying to cool me down on it a little bit. You're like, it's great, but, um, can you, what, what are, what are your feelings on, uh, I don't know, like whether it makes sense as somebody's best camera that they own. Yeah. I think like with Marquez as well, uh, before, I think he got his about a week before mine. And when I messaged him, I, I had seen he'd been using the R5, the a7S three, and also the. Komodo and he was kind of like obviously as a red user he's very excited and I was as well uh as ever since the the kind of leaks and teasers had been coming out since last year I was extremely excited for it because everything about the red has been something that I that I enjoy and I understand but the problem with it is obviously the weight the thing is is really heavy and the way that mm -hmm. we we travel with it too is kind of the lightest way that we could possibly do it we don't use like a map box we don't use a rod system we don't even take off the screen or the handle or anything when we travel with it we just like I don't know put it in the back of the car and and take it along um but I would always like to have for it to be uh smaller um so when it was announced, it was like, these specs are great. The price point is great. But obviously, the biggest skepticism is, is this camera really going to have the same image quality that, that RED is known for? And I think after early impressions, I would say it's it's really close. Um, the the DSMC2 lineup is, is obviously able to do a great job in dynamic range. And it's got the IPP2 color system, which is the main reason why I decided to pick this up. Because I would be able to mm -hmm. essentially edit the footage the exact same as I as I work with the A-Roll. And if I, say, rent out the DSMC2 RED, the Dragon X, which is probably going to be the most popular rental camera compared to the Komodo, I would at least have a, a RED camera that I can use while it's gone. Um, so I feel like at its price, it is a great deal. Um, but in your case, if you have the C200, a camera that is known to be very convenient and everything is just all built into one unified system, has pretty great colors. Yeah. I, I would say it's probably second or third if you want to compare it in the cinema world. Um, that's, that's kind of just my opinion. I felt like the Canons 
already did quite a good job of matching the red in a lot of cases when I was shooting in C-Log. And with the autofocus features and all that stuff that I was getting on the 1DX3 and what you're going to have on the R6 and the R5, the red Komodo, at least for, for what a YouTuber would be using it for, is a lot of parts that have to go in and still quite a few variables to have to think about. And once you add up all the cost, which in Canada, I would say I'm about twelve to $13,000 into it, um, <laughs> it, it is a hard, hard thing to justify compared to what Canon and Sony are able to offer right now. Um, but I would say in the cinema world, and like if you look at the Facebook group, everybody like absolutely loves it. Um, every time Jared pops into the group, they're like thanking him and and like worshiping how good of an idea it is. And it is a great idea. But if you're looking at like the Facebook groups and like the YouTube reviews from say like filmmakers, it definitely does give a, a different kind of opinion. And I think with, with tech YouTube over the years, I've noticed everybody kind of jumps on a camera and they like, they're telling everybody to get the same one. But then when the next best, best thing comes out, everybody jumps just mm-hmm. as quickly. Um, so this is going to be the weirdest time for it though, because there are so many good ones. It yeah, is just, sure. it's really unclear. Um, you yeah. know, for a moment I was thinking that like the A7S three is going to become the default for a while. Uh, I, I, bet that will be the most popular yeah I, I think a lot of people are going to pick it up it it's and sony's having another event with <laughs> yeah which i don't know what that's gonna i be. think but it's gonna be a smaller be, a60 like it's gonna be like an a6300 or 6500 size camera oh, okay. um that has a full frame sensor from what i saw i just oh, saw yeah, it like an elite say a7c is that the i don't know yeah don't something know. like that Rumor, r- rumors are, are less interesting but it's same with canon though it's going to do a smaller c200 the 70c is the rumored name and it's like a lot of the c200 features but in a small like komodo size body so yeah that's it's all really hard it's not as it's not as much of like a specific ecosystem as a computer is i think um i don't know it's i'm kind of split as well and i i am guilty of switching a lot in the past but i think the the canon system was one that i thought would be an industry disruptor the r5 but after it came out people kind of brought it back to to ground and found mm-hmm. its flaws and how it's like it needs a generation or two Real before fast. yeah so i don't know i haven't had my hands on it um but I, i'm still curious about it but i've i've also talked to my buddy who shoots um from mclaren formula one and uh he's using the 1d and i was kind of like isn't the r5 like the perfect camera for you because you're running around and you don't have stabilization because it's a, it's like a three-day thing so the amount of work that it would need to to use like a Ronin S or a Ronin M while getting audio and all that stuff is just too much. But he was saying that from what he saw, the image quality was not as good as the the 1DX3 or the 1DX2. So hmm. yeah, I think like the, uh, the the only reason why I've kind of uh, kind of brought out the reality of the uh, the Komodo in a lot of ways is I think um, your setup right now with the one with the C200 is uh, is like a very ideal youtuber setup you know you don't you kind of just like think about content and your audio is already all set up and you've got your c-log the dynamic range for most fixed scenarios is pretty good and even for outdoors it's a documentary camera so i'm honestly very curious to want to test out the the canon cinema line which i kind of skipped uh when we decided to go the the dragon x direction from the trade-in but yeah it's a lot of parts that if if you're doing yeah if you're doing all YouTube, like so, mostly you're sitting in front, like a lot yeah. of it's a roll sitting in front of a camera, um, and then studio B roll, uh, the, yeah, either Canon or Sony. I mean, both are great. FX9 looks amazing, C300 Mark III looks amazing, C200 is still great, C5. I mean, there's so many good ones right now. 
that does make sense for most YouTube stuff. The things that attract me to the red is being able to take into a more cinematic context. So I think it makes sense that you'd still be attracted to some of the ease of use stuff the Canon is offering because it is easier. What makes me keep looking at um, something more cinematic, there there just still is a visible image quality difference. Um, And and in terms of how I have to shoot with C200, I constantly complain about that. You can't output an accurate preview of the image. So when I'm shooting, the monitor won't show me what C-Log2 looks like. So you have to overexpose and you can't use a LUT to show you a preview of correct exposure. And that's just not real filmmaking. Like that's, that's, it seems crazy if you tell, or I have told real cinematographers this and they're like, are you sure that seems insane? Like your camera must be broken. That's what I thought when I heard the first time that you had to delete all the footage on the red just to get one clip off. Well, and yeah, there's just a bunch of little stuff like that. That is, um, I don't know, kind of hard to wrap your head around. Uh, also the, the built, the, Canon LUTs to transform the yeah. C-Log2 are like bad, bad, bad. Don't I still use, use them. them. <laughs> they look awful. Oh, no. But no, no, no. So they on the red, they're great, though. It's just the, the C-Log2 ones are a mess. Like, they make magenta look insane. Um, whereas, yeah, on red, if you go through the IPP2 yeah. transform stuff, it's just it's just right no matter what. Like, I've, I've never seen an example where it's like, oh, that you should use a different transform. The transform is never the problem. It's yeah. only like, oh, you kind of messed up your footage in some way. For sure. Um, but I, I, that's very appealing to me that there is a workflow that like, this is always the way. It's never going to be an issue. Yeah, I think um, I've, I've loved the IPP2 system. And the first time I tried it out, when I first got the red, I honestly didn't know what an IPP2 thing it was. But when I saw like the the low, medium, high, and no contrast and and like the highlight roll-off options, I was like, well, it, that's pretty cool. I don't really have to think about it. And there's so many ways you can use the footage. It definitely isn't mm-hmm. the most practical for YouTube. It, it, takes, it definitely takes up more time and headache. Um, but like just knowing even if you're able to nail the exposure in camera just knowing that you have the ability to to have control over the footage after you get to your editing table is it's just good peace of mind to have and you have you get you spend less time thinking of the specifics of it um, which is the main reason why we why we like to use a system um the Komodo though is definitely it, it builds up like there's the screen and you have to have the SDI and then you detap into your V mount and you have the V mount adapter and then you add the handle as well. Um, it starts to look a lot That's like not the Black that Magic. Big. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, circling back to the R5 and R6, though, like uh, the, a big reason I think they don't make sense as an A roll camera for a lot of people. I mean, if you're yeah. just doing sit down YouTube, perfect, but. Um, the dynamic range will be noticeably less. And I I feel like people haven't represented this well enough in a lot of the tests that I've seen. Like uh, when I saw Maddie testing it and and I think Potato Dead as well, they're both like the dynamic range looks great. And they're just shooting sample footage where it just wasn't stretching it. Yeah. Um, Like the footage looked nice. There wasn't any problems with it. But I was seeing then in other examples when they weren't talking about the dynamic range, like the clouds are clipping all over the place. Like it's very visible. Yeah, Yeah. And... The, it's because of C-Log 1. They're saying that they're going to add C-Log 3 to it, which doesn't have as much dynamic range as C-Log 2. Um, and meanwhile, the Sony, out of the box, has more because it has S-Log 3. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then, yeah, looking at any of these raw cameras. Uh, and also, I was looking at more comparisons of Blackmagic to Komodo as well because I think it's an easy com- comparison yeah, to make. Yeah. You're like, oh, you could spend 2500 and get exactly the same or a very similar feature set. It's not the same 
Abs, hundred percent. Yeah, is I not. saw that. The, the, yeah, I think it was on the, the huge differences. There's a bunch. I mean, I've I've been watching like everything Komodo related, <laughs> but yeah, clouds a big clip difference. in. In, in yeah, the Black Magic does not have the dynamic range. It's not. It's very good. I mean, it's amazing for the price, but it's not the same. Uh, the roll off isn't there. And then the other thing is there is no filter. Wait, what's the filter that uh, a UV filter um, where you can see infrared pollution? Um, um, so I guess it's an infrared filter, but it's not built into Black Magics, and it is built into oh, false color cannons. No, 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 no. I, this is actually like a optical filter, and I oh, never an understood this filter. very well until I saw the um, uh, India Mogul video breaking it down. What will happen is that like IR pollution will start turning different colors into like so turning like blacks into browns uh, or greens into black. Like it, it'll it if you have the wrong colors coming in in a certain setup, all of a sudden your your darker colors start to shift a lot and it's it's really visible and bad it's not subtle and the thing is it doesn't happen 80 90 percent of the time but i started seeing it in example footage and I'm like wow that can completely ruin a shot no it's not ruined because people maybe don't know what it's supposed to look like but compared to a uh, clean filtered light it's it's really visible and black magic's one of the few popular cinema cameras that is missing that and you kind of take it for granted because it doesn't happen with other cameras but uh, i don't know I, i'd recommend watching the indie mogul video about it because it it really makes it obvious what's going on there and the komodo does not have that issue the colors are much better yeah the colors are definitely there i still need to try to push it in a in a more like a cam like scenario we've only really used it for b cam and general test footage um, a lot of times like yeah the cameras when they come in are kind of just slotted into the workflow and you try to find time to to bring them out and really use them and learn them um but Right now, it's just like the file-related thing with Final Cut has me a little bit worried at times. But otherwise, it has been a great camera. And Black. I think, yeah, like as a beta, it's... Frames, yeah. As a beta camera, it's uh, it's more than what I think we could have asked for. Um, it, it works very well. And it I haven't really noticed any major glitches. And they're constantly patching it. I think another beta patch just came out a, uh, today, which is like a minor fix for connectivity. And um, so, yeah, I think... I forgot to say that, though, too. Game, game changer more than a lot of people have realized yet is going to be the Wi-Fi stuff. Yeah. The fact that you can have like multiple iPads with almost no latency Wi-Fi monitoring. So you don't need to buy a Teradek. You don't need to buy other stuff. And more than one person can be monitoring it at the same time. Yeah. I think you can watch it in browser. I didn't test that, but I've heard people say it. Um, that's really, really, really good. We were shooting with the iPhone as a monitor. So for like a travel kit, like I know you were saying that when you build it up, it's going to be, a, a bit of a monster right now I, I can't travel with my c200 really because it, it has to take up a huge part of my backpack no matter what um, even the battery charger is enormous on its own so like everything it gets big with the komodo you can tear it down so that it could fit in a backpack you can monitor with an iphone if you're you know in like a travel scenario where you're like okay i gotta make this as small as i can you you also can do it with the onboard monitor if you really need to um and that's just not possible with any other cameras of that size that I can think of. Even the Blackmagic. I feel like you have to build up the Blackmagic so the batteries don't last at all. So I don't know. Yeah. And I think like, um, I mean, there's going to be a, there's going to be a new uh, DJI Ronin coming out tomorrow. And I think, especially in a oh, gimbal right. scenario, that is going to be very effective. And I, and I didn't realize it was that good. I did try it like once or twice, but at, at the end of the day, I've heard a lot of cameras say they have great Wi-Fi uh, connectivity and remote app and all that kind of stuff. But I, it was always still kind of, 
bad. The canon this is one the was the first real one. Yeah, yeah, which is like nice for a gimbal situation. So I think if we start doing like travel films again, uh, and we're able to put the Komodo on a gimbal with two batteries that are internally attached and run the mm-hmm. Wi-Fi and mount the the phone on my uh, on my gimbal and run around with that, I think that's going to be the delayed moment where we realize how powerful the Komodo really is. Well, and have somebody else also connected on their phone and pulling focus via the app. Like that's the stuff that is, I, I, I don't know how, I'm, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, like I know, they, well, the red is, uh, I mean, the the Ronin is going to have uh, the focus mechanism as well, kind of like what they did. So I'm oh, wondering if there's okay. going to be, uh, there's going to be support for the, the red. Um, who knows if they're working together um, on that, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I've never used a focus puller. I'm not quite there yet. Still trying to figure out how to use a gimbal properly and and like just like in general how to how to do a travel film. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think the gimbal scenario is going to be what I'm personally most excited for. I know it's also like a drone kind of use case as well that people have been mentioning with the Komodo. But yeah, I've seen it used in many different ways on the Facebook group. Some of them have just been like massive rigs and you've got just like a tiny, people are like joking, like where's the camera? Because the lens is like two <laughs> yeah. feet long and they've got the map boxes and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think- It's also totally changed my perspective on RF mounts, by the way, which we don't have time to get into. Yeah, I, I'm I saw all about RF now. I'm like, I get it. Now I understand why. And it's not just because of RF glass. It's because of how much you can adapt to it. And all of a sudden yeah. I'm looking at my C200 thinking like, oh, wait, I couldn't put, uh, you know, I couldn't, I don't know. Anyway, that's that's a whole other story. But um, the things you're shooting now already look pretty great. So uh, nah. even if you can see the improvements, Justin, your channel is amazing and everybody should go follow you and check it out right away. I think you're, uh, um, I remember you I remember you had one video that I remember outdoors. I was like, I could, for a while, I couldn't figure out how to shoot properly outdoors, like making sure I had the proper ND filters and grading it. Um, I think you have had one year where you're filming in New York. Um, and I think I asked you which camera you're using and, and I believe it was a Sony at the time. Um, yeah, yeah, those, those looked uh, really good. Um, and obviously like the studio stuff looks amazing as well. Uh, I've never kind of set up lighting properly. So hopefully when the studio is done, I'll try to see how to put together lighting and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, the camera world is, is exciting. There's a lot of stuff coming out. There's more stuff that is still going to come out. There's gimbals constantly coming out. Uh, Zion's making a new product every week for smartphones and, and cameras and, and the Apple events in just a few more days too. So, uh, yeah, first, <laughs> hard of, to keep first up. of a couple, too apparently. So about. yeah, there's going to yeah, be the iPhone be in October and, and all that stuff. So yeah, it's going to be a busy uh, run to the end of the year. And then this year there's not going to be CES. So it's going to be interesting as to, as to how that industry, our industry is going to operate without CES, whether it's going to be better or worse, um, because everything's going to be covered online. I've never gone. So I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. You're, you're not missing much. It's kind of, it's, it's more about the stuff around it, but the convention itself, I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm like that deep into tech to, to want to go to every booth and, and like, look into everything but yeah it was i kind of went there just to play with the just to play with the 1dx3 at the time (laughs) other than that i just just for the one camera (laughs) yeah it was literally the only reason why we went on the show floor but cool well thanks again for uh taking the time yeah thanks for having me on uh, if if anybody's not already following you uh the links will be in the show notes and uh yeah talk to you next time yeah thanks so much and uh sorry i didn't have video (laughs) (laughs) also next time